One of the most feared beings, these are tales of Mexican brujas. Stories, folklore, legends, leyendas, cuentos y más. This is Spooky Tales. Listen, escuchen at your own risk. And today's episode is a little different. MJ is missing. She's having, not not missing like in a bad way. She's having a family vacation. And so she's just having fun and not recording. But I do have a guest today. He's got some spooky stories. And then I believe you were, you said you were a paranormal investigator and aspiring author, right? Yes, correct. That is correct. All right. Well, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Joshua Chavez. I am currently working on a book regarding paranormal occurrences that happened within my family, which involved uh, curses from what you would might call a Mexican witch doctor. I'm also a former paranormal investigator. I used to do a lot of investigations, really more looking into the field of the paranormal. Uh, I used to do that more so like five years ago or six years ago before I had my kids. Uh, you know, once you have a family, you kind of got to settle down. True. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm starting to branch back out again trying to finish up this book that I've been working on for a few years. And yeah, I have, I have done some investigations. Most of them were local to my area here in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. Probably my favorite investigation was probably the USS Lexington. That one was Ooh, probably a really that good sounds one. cool. There's a, there's a lot of stories from the, the RGV. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there really are. It's hard trying to wade through what's real and what's um, more of a, dramatization that people try and put out there but but yeah it's really hard to try and weed through that i bet today we're going to be talking about brujas specifically brujas in mexico but before we get to the topic i do have a listener story this was sent in via twitter but if you have your own spooky story you want us to share on the podcast you can send it into any of our socials or email us at spookytales at gmail.com we also have a, an option where you can leave a voicemail on our website, but I feel like people are less inclined to want to do that. But there's options, so uh, send your stories because we want them. But here is this person's story. Okay, and so she says, I just got to your spooky children episode. So here's a little backstory. My family's guest house used to be divided into two sections. One was rented out and the other was for my Cuban grandmother. After family who was renting moved and my grandmother passed away, the divider wall was knocked down and the two parts became one. I currently live in the guest house that my father's mother used to live in, specifically the sections that were hers and the room that was hers. And my mother was convinced that my grandmother practiced black magic or voodoo magic because flowers that are near my grandmother's old house always die until they're moved away into another part of the house. Then they come back to life, full bloom. Oh, that is interesting. Okay, so when my niece was about 10 months, it was just me and her at my place since her family was on vacation. Around 9 p.m., there were three loud knocks from the exterior wall of my room behind my head. Before I could react, my niece babbles and makes the come here, come in hand movement. Within the month, I felt something different in my house. Things got moved away. There were thuds, nothing big, just mild annoyances. 
It's fine. Once in a while, I get violently startled awake at 3 a.m. to this day. It happens again. This time she's three, and I heard her say, Venga. After the knocks, I wanted to yeet. <laughs> After the knocks, I wanted to yeet the tiny child out of my house and douse her in holy water. Because one time was fine, but two times? A week later, I get woken up around 7 a.m. by hearing a child squeal and laugh. I thought it was my niece. I laid in bed for another 40 minutes before getting up. My niece was nowhere in sight. I didn't think much of it, assuming she went home before I left, uh, before I got up, left my room. My mom leaves the shower and goes, okay, I'll be back. I'm going to go grab uh, the niece, to which I responded, wasn't she just here? My mom denied that she was. I simply stated out loud, out loud, never mind, I didn't hear anything and went about my day. To this day, I don't know if my pe- my niece was playing with an imaginary friend or with whatever she invited in. And every so often, I feel something staring at me. But it doesn't feel evil, so happy face. Uh, that's still creepy. Uh, so yeah, thanks for the story. I'd be mad if my child let out some let in some spirit that I didn't let in. <laughs> so yeah, on to the topic. Joshua, feel free, free to interject with your thoughts or comments. I forgot to tell you that before we started. Okay, cool. Yeah, perfect. I was I wanted to say something, but I wasn't sure if I should just stay quiet for for one of those things there because it it is it is really concerning when people do bring something into the house. Um, especially when it's when it's not meant to be like when they don't mean for it to happen it, it is a concerning issue and it is scary ouija boards things like that have been known to, to cause you know things to be invited places and i've actually heard of different uh, things like that one of the investigations i went on was actually about that uh someone using yeah. a ouija board and and they were afraid about you know what might have been led into their house so it was a it was a really weird house it sounds creepy i feel like especially a kid is like because the kid's not going to know better. They're going to be like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> yeah, the ye- the yeeting the kid out was, was hilarious. I wanted to laugh so hard. <laughs> yeah. I would have done that. I would do that to my own child. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I eat my daughter on a daily. So, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, so on to brujas. So brujas, brujería, and Latin America, the stories are endless. Uh, so for this episode, I'm going to be focusing on Mexico specifically. But the, yeah, they're like all over Latin America. I feel like a few a few months ago, a video surfaced from like somewhere in Mexico of people, they were like down under this, there was like a hill and they were recording on top of the hill and there was like something floating on top of the hill. And that video was like, it went like, it had a bunch of views, but they said it was a witch. And I was like, wow, that's too recent. <laughs> yeah, I think I know which video you're talking about. I've, I've, uh, it's like a black humanoid figure yes, uh, flying. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I myself don't know what that is, but I, I would read, I read the comments and people were saying it was a drone with something to make it look like it was a person, this and that. But, I mean, we, we won't know because we weren't there, but it, it certainly did have a human-like shape and it certainly was eerie. Yeah, definitely. Like, I can't say or agree or anything, but it was weird, <laughs> for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Flying humanoid stories always just get me. Yeah, and there's there's so many. <laughs> so I, I feel like everyone that is Mexican or any, like, Latin American country, really, or has parents from there, you know, has heard something about brujas growing up. 
uh, usually that they're evil. I know I always heard this same saying, and I both MJ and I have brought it up before, but the saying is, las brujas vienen de Zacatecas, the witches come from Zacatecas. Uh-huh. And then, like, another thing I was frequently told growing up, like, were stories of fireballs in the distance and that these were witches. Yeah, I've heard something of that line myself before. I've heard two iterations of of uh, fireball stories. One, one be one where it is, like, a brujeria, something about, like, maybe an evil sight or where they practice magic. And then uh, another fireball story was a – it's an old Mexican-American uh, tale – where if you saw a fireball coming out from the ground, then that meant that there was some kind of treasure buried there. Oh, interesting. That I had not heard. That That's an old story. And uh, actually, I had a math teacher. Uh, since I grew up here in the, in the Rio Grande Valley, it's predominantly Latin American people, Hispanic people. So one of my teachers was, was Hispanic, and he told us about how his father, when he was a little boy, and this man was already like in his 60s. So we're talking probably like in the 1920s. Uh, when, when his father was a little boy, he was wandering around outside and he saw flame coming out of the ground. And his family told him, I don't know if you should go to it, buddy, because it could either be something bad or it could be that there's treasure there. The thing is, you don't know. So eventually they saw that it disappeared, but then it reappeared somewhere else. So he, he never went to go bother with it, but, but he, he himself re- recalled the story of his father seeing a mysterious fire coming out of the ground. Well, that, yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah, I hadn't heard that. Just the witches part of it. Yeah. It's just, it just, it's just different iterations of, uh, of, I guess the same story, you know, maybe, maybe it's just something that I heard that someone else interpreted from the story. Cause that's the thing. A lot of these are just interpretations that, eventually get so convoluted it's it is just hard to tell that is also very true back to witches though uh witchcraft in latin america and mexico i mean i i can't say because most of what we have now on it in the information was or is from you know the spanish side of it all the writings and documents that claim it's evil it, it is from the Spanish side of it, like the, I forgot, it's like a codex. I just don't remember the name in front of it, something codex, but it, it mentions like Moctezuma sending sorcerers and brujas to try and stop the Spanish. And they're like, these things are evil. And um, obviously Catholicism also doesn't recognize brujeria. But right now it's, there seems to be like a resurgence of like people of Latinx, Latino heritage saying or reclaiming that they're brujas and like, you know, making it something good. So I don't know. I feel like, you know, with all things, there's good and evil people that do it. So I don't know that all evil, all, you can say all witches are evil. But when you when you hear stories of brujas and the legends, they're all scary. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah. The, the thing about witchcraft is, like you said, um, like I just want to touch a base real quick on what you said about how it's perceived as bad, but people are trying to reclaim it and make it into a good thing. Um, I don't know if you've followed the teachings of people like, uh, you know, Evelyn Paglini. She's a reported witch. You know, she, she claims to be a witch. She had family who taught her the ways of elemental witchcraft. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know the name, but I've never like read about her or anything uh, from her. 
Okay. Well, well, from some of the things I've read and from some of the, some interviews I've heard from her, not just um, Art Bell, but other interviews that she's done, she herself says that any witchcraft or any type of magic is, is going to be um, not necessarily a good thing. You know, you're, you're manipulating these forces to try and create your will or the will of others. So in a sense, uh, people like Evelyn Paglini, uh, who've practiced witchcraft for their whole lives, most more or less, they tend to believe that witchcraft really is something that isn't necessarily a good thing, but it's sort of a necessary evil, kind of like the, mm-hmm. the duality of life. There is okay. always good and bad. And, you know, that's all there is. There's either just good and bad. And, and yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's just, yeah, they, it can be it can be a bad thing. It can be scary, but sometimes people try and you make it try and use it for a good thing. But sometimes it can just turn around and bite you. Right, that I I've heard too. So I know here in the the podcast we've mentioned a few witch related legends, like La Lechusa, which is the witch owl, and then also the I I call them the moments. Copinqui, but I guess they're also called Tlahuelpuchis. These words are so hard. <laughs> um, yes. But they're blood-sucking witches. Um, so we've talked briefly about both. But today I'll be talking about some different stories. So this one is from Hidalgo, Mexico. So it's said that in, diff- in certain regions of the Mexican state of Hidalgo, it's prohibited to say the word bruja on Fridays. And many people still put salt on their rooftops, as well as they place scissors in the shape of a cross below their beds for protection against brujas. In the town of Huichapan, Hidalgo, there's still, you know, so many stories of shape-shifting brujas and, you know, the fireballs seen on faraway hills. And uh, newborns are especially protected because it's, I feel like all over Mexico, and I don't know if it's just Mexico, but... Uh, it's always been said that the witches look for newborns to suck their blood from. And it's an old belief that witches' tongues turn into spider webs. And at night, these webs reach down into the newborn baby's crib to suck their blood. So many would use iron scissors, and they have to be iron scissors, not regular scissors, to cut these spider webs before putting their baby down for the night. And then in the morning, these webs that were cut up were said to have shifted back into human tongues. That's a very eerie story. <laughs> yeah. I have never heard anything like that before. Yeah, I'd heard the blood sucking from newborns and the scissors, but not the tongues. <laughs> that I did not know or, or ever hear. Yeah, all of that is new to me. I, I, for one, have never heard of a type of witch that would try to suck the blood of, of an infant. Now, I, like I heard stories of people you know, whether it be sacrificing infants for the sake of, of like devil worship, but, but just sucking the blood out of for some sort of essence boost. I've never heard of that before. Oh, okay. And this, this is a story I found from Reddit that goes in line with exactly the, the stuff I just shared about the newborns, but um, it was submitted by someone with the username, you fluffy G Sam. And so this person, said they were raised by their grandmother and she would tell them all sorts of stories and one day he wouldn't go to sleep and as most of us were told scary stories to you know get us to behave (laughs) so she told them a scary story and then she would retell him this story all the time 
And so this is just a direct quote because I feel like it's best that way instead of trying to rephrase it. So it goes as follows. The story goes that my great-great-grandmother had been a stubborn Protestant when she married my great-great-grandfather. And although she did convert to Catholicism, she held on to the belief that baptism should be a choice. They had a son as their first child and were wildly happy for a time. But still, my great-great-grandmother would not relent and would not let the child be baptized. The first year of the child's life had passed, he'd begun to walk. My grandparents were so proud. One night, they put him to bed, and they themselves turned in for a head start on what would be yet another sleep-deprived night, such as life with an infant. For whatever reason, they fell into a deep, restful sleep, but apparently my great-great-grandmother felt something was wrong in her sleep and sat bolt upright. My grandma tells me that the first instinct her mother had was to check the child, and that's what she did. The baby room was adjacent to theirs. We were a rich family once, so a multiple-bedroom multiple home was a status symbol in town. And so she tried the door to the baby's room and found it to be locked from the inside. By that time, my great-great-grandfather had awoken, and almost immediately they heard the most inhuman, inhumane, inhuman, inhuman cackle from the other side of the door. After some struggle, they managed to get the door open and the child was gone. She told my great-grandmother great that, En ese momento sentí como mi mundo entero se había acabado. Roughly translated, she said, she felt like her world had ended. All that was left of my would-be great-great-grand-uncle was an empty crib and the pain of his parents' hearts, or the pain in the hearts of his parents. Fast forward around 100 years, I'm born. The first son of my generation, the eldest of all the grandchildren, like the child would have been. My grandmother forces my baptism as early as possible. The house we had been living in at the time was adjacent to a notorious home in our city that was reportedly a hive for occult activity. We were poor, so a house in the slums was all we could afford. One night, just as my first birthday, my mother awakes much the same way her ancestor did a century earlier to find a locked door to my room. The door opens again after some struggling, but I'm unharmed. The window is left open which had been closed previously and a feeling of evil perverted the room or so says my mother that's weird Very, yes. so they believe that that the great or what was it great great grand uncle was taken by a witch for some reason all these witches really want babies perhaps it has to do with the the fact that they're they're new to life and they might have you know the stronger a stronger essence of life since you know they're they're technically closer to the beginning they're, they're closer to the beginning of life you know like us we were born to die we slowly decompose over time in a sense with our bodies breaking down so maybe in a sense it's that the babies being so new and so fresh that they might have more of some type of energy that they're looking for yeah that that makes sense here's another one another <laughs> witch and children legend because there's so many of them. This one is from Aculco, Mexico. And Aculco is a municipality in the state of Mexico. Aculco is, is said to be a very cold place and full of legends. And one of these legends is called La Bruja. Many, many years ago, there was a beautiful young woman with long black hair and golden skin. And all the young men loved her, but the elders warned them to stay away from her. For her family practiced black magic, and she was a bruja, a witch. 
Despite her beauty, no one was willing to marry her and grant her her biggest wish, to be a mother. The years went by and by, and she was still alone. Eventually, she was too old for her dream, and she grew resentful. She became full of hate and set on vengeance, and was said to have made a deal with the devil. Soon after this happened, a child went missing in Aculco, then another, and then a third. The townspeople immediately suspected the one they called Bruja, and they all marched to her house, pitchforks in hand. They were ready to burn her alive, and they tried knocking her door down, but at that moment, extreme coldness and fog surrounded them, and then a loud voice boomed from the giant tree that was next to her house. The voice said terrible things, and then she told them she was the one they called Bruja, and she had taken the children as revenge. A man in the crowd brushed the tree with an axe, but when he hit the tree, the cries of children were heard. The bruja began laughing and then told them that the soul of the children were trapped in the tree too. The mother of the three children begged the man not to tear the tree down. So to this day, the tree remains, and they say that if you stab the tree with a knife, the tree will bleed. And the crying of the children can be heard along with the laughter of the bruja. Although there are trees that have red sap, which is a lot of these trees have legends surrounding them about it being blood, but it's usually sap. <laughs> well, that was, that was definitely an eerie story. I like that. Yeah. I love that the tree's still there. <laughs> Me too. I will say, I mean, those are the two, the two stories I had. But before you share your story, just a little info on like pre-Hispanic brujería in Mexico specifically. So I already mentioned this a little bit. I don't know what, well, from reading, I don't know myself, but from reading, it seems like the indigenous people before the Spanish arrived, they didn't view, I mean, like sorcerers and people that practice witchcraft, they were feared, but they were also very respected. They also didn't have or didn't seem to have like set rules on good and evil it was more like things needed to be in balance and so there were deities that were said to you know like be evil and bring famine and disease but the same deity that did that also prevented them like people instead of being solely good or solely bad they just they were both and things just needed to be more balanced and it wasn't about good and evil and so I think this, or it seems like this is how they viewed both witchcraft and sorcery. But the Spanish came and, you know, all these things were depicted as as evil. And the Spanish tried their best to rid what they call New Spain of all indigenous beliefs. And so in 1574, there was this thing called the Nahuatl Treaty of Witchcraft, which declared indigenous practitioners as pawns of the devil. And so indigenous people were not heavily punished under this because their goal was to convert them to Catholicism. So they wanted to teach them, not execute them or put them all in prison. Instead, the mestizos and the mixed African mestizos, they, they were the ones who were heavily punished if they had the same beliefs. So witchcraft confessions and accusations, they mainly involved lower class women, which tended to be indigenous or mestizo or African Spanish indigenous mixed race people. 
and they were all the ones targeted by these witch hunts, which from what I've read, they're not, they weren't the same as witch hunts in Europe where, you know, a bunch of people were burned. But then a different source that I found also said there were, there were a lot of burnings across Latin America, which mostly targeted indigenous women. And then another interesting article I found was that across Latin America, those that brewed chocolate, like hot chocolate, which was a drink mostly prepared by women, um, were especially targeted by the Spanish Inquisition because chocolate was considered to indigenous people to be like, it had a lot of purposes. Like women took it to help them make them stronger during childbirth. Men, they gave it to men to have good luck with women, things like that. Like it was a chocolate was used as something powerful, I guess you could say. So those that used chocolate like that were persecuted by the Spanish Inquisition. Like one story, there's a there was a 33 year old mixed race construction worker who went to the Spanish Inquisition and oh, this takes place in Guatemala. I forgot to say this story. Um, and so then he went to the Inquisition and told them his wife, Cecilia, had bewitched his masculinity away. And because of this, he was unable to maintain an erection and felt a strong urge to make his wife's hot chocolate every morning. And the court agreed that there was no way ever that this was natural. And so they sent Cecilia to jail. And there's so many cases like this where someone seen brewing chocolate then is accused of something and... And none of these documents say what happened to them, how long they were in jail, like when they were released. So I don't know, but I just found the chocolate and brujeria thing very interesting. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of chocolate or cocoa or cacao being used at all in in any kind of uh, witchcraft uh, ceremonies. I do know that they that they tend to use natural um, natural uh, things from the earth, you know, uh, spices fruit peels, things like that. Actually, uh, in the story, I'm going to mention that that's actually, uh, there's a, an organic substance left behind in the, at, the, at my house and which caused some of the issues to arise, uh, which we'll get into when that happens. But yeah, there, I, I do know that they use natural things from the earth in order to try and evoke spirits or try to evoke any kind of powers, whether they be, uh, you know, the, the spirits of the North or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, natural, natural earth things that are just um, resources, you know, are, are used in, in a lot of their ceremonies. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's all I had on them. So if you want to go ahead and share your story. All right. Well, there are some stories from before when this took place. But since we're talking about witch doctors, brujerias, brujeria from, from Mexico, I figure we'll start off with this. So uh, roughly around the time when I was 12 or 13 we were starting to have random issues occur at the house. We would have things suddenly disappear when we know we left it on the counter. There, I can remember a handful of times that I left something on a counter and I came back a minute later and it was gone. And, you know, only to have it show up on the counter later that day or the next day. Yeah, there was just a lot of weird things. A lot of, a lot of the weird things tend to happen around my sister's room area. I'm going to have to delve into a little family history here, just so we you have some yeah, context. Go ahead. So growing up, my father, you know, he he was a he was a, a good father. You know, he was a good guy. However, my mom and my dad always had issues with their relationship. So there'd be times where he would live with us, and there'd be times where he wouldn't live with us. So 
there was a time when he didn't live with us when I was maybe about 11, 11 or 12 or so that he ended up having a daughter with another woman, him and my mom were divorced at the time. So he ended up having this daughter with another woman and she was a Mexican national who immigrated to America. And we didn't know about this until, you know, two years, three years later that, that he had a daughter. So, you know, fast forward two years, I'm about 13 years old. My dad left the house, you know, he's not living with us. It's just my mom, my two sisters, my two older sisters and I, and, and one day, things just start getting different. You know, we have this weird feeling in the house. My mom suddenly starts dealing with issues of sleep paralysis and extreme nightmares. Yeah. Before, before this, uh, before I was 13, she told me that she never had sleep paralysis. She told me that she never had extreme nightmares like she does. Sometimes to this day, she still wakes up sometimes feeling like there's something in her room when she wakes up from a sleep paralysis episode. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And unfortunately, there are still things going on at the house, uh, despite all the efforts we had to try and cleanse the house. Yeah. So from the beginning, there were a lot of incidences that occurred near my sister's room, right? Inside my sister's room. In the summer, this was around 2001 in the summer. My sisters, you know, had the computer in their room. We had internet in there. So in the summers, I would be in there a lot. They had this older TV that did not have a sleep timer or any kind of program for it. It was maybe a TV from like the early 90s. So it didn't, it didn't have any of that. And we didn't have a remote either. Well, there would be some times that we're in the room and around two to three in the morning, the TV would either, depending on its condition, if it was on or off, it would do the opposite of. So, you know, Ooh, if it's two it's in the morning. that time, three it is. a.m. I know. I know. It's, I, I know. It, it really is. It's, it's, a, it's a weird time to be awake, especially when you're outside at night. Yeah. I, I used to work graveyard shift for a wind turbine site. So we're out in those sticks in the middle of nowhere at three in the morning. It, it really is a scary sight. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, sometimes uh, the TV would turn on and it would go straight to a snowy channel. Now, this TV, whenever we would turn it on or turn it off, it would always stay on the channel we left it on. So if we were watching Cartoon Network, we turn it off, turn it back on, it would reappear on Cartoon Network, no matter how long it had been. Mm -hmm. Every time that it would turn on, it would go straight to a snow channel. That is so weird. I know. It was like channel 98 or something, something that we didn't have programmed there because we had just basic cable before, you know, a lot of boxes were coming out. Yeah. And... um, and then also, you know, like I said, the TV would just randomly turn off. And then when we would turn it back on, it would go to the snow channel then as well. So it wasn't just when it would turn itself back on that it would go to the snow channel. It's when we even turned it on ourselves at that time that it would go back to the snow channel. So it, it was really a really odd occurrence that would happen. and something that really creeped us out a lot. Yeah. So there, there would be times also that my sisters in their room, they would uh, be watching TV. And this happened while I was there too. One time uh, we would be watching TV and we would hear someone talking and, you know, we thought it was in the TV, but, but it wasn't, Ooh. you know, like I, yeah, I remember there was a time I was like, well, let's change the channel. Let's watch something else. Right. So we changed the channel and we're still hearing that same voice. So we, we, we listened around and we couldn't determine where it was coming from at first. And, and then eventually, you know, my sister turned down the TV and the voice stopped. So every time she would turn the, the volume back up, the voices would start again. And we would always oh look God. out the windows and we would, yeah, we would always look out the windows and we would never see anyone around or anything. 
And this was going on for, for about a year that, you know, they were hearing people outside their windows and they wouldn't, they wouldn't see anyone. So within that same year, my sister, she was in that room by herself. And there was this one incident that to this day still scares her. She, she has no idea what happened. She has no idea what it was, but she was in her room asleep by herself when suddenly she woke up because she felt someone get on the bed. Now she, my sister Vanessa, she's a, she was a real light sleeper when we were younger. I would accidentally walk into her room when she was taking a nap and, and she would, you know, she would wake up right away. So I don't doubt that she woke up feeling something get on her bed. Yeah. So, so when she, when she felt that she felt someone get on her bed, it woke her up and oh she God. could feel, she could feel the, the indention next to her, but she, she couldn't for the life of her look behind her because she was so scared. She was laying on her side facing the wall. And after the, after the bed, you know, after she felt someone get on the bed, she heard a voice whisper to her, do you remember me? Oh my God. That's terrifying. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. She, she was so, she told me that when she, she heard, do you remember me? She got so scared and she froze into place. And then right after she heard, do you remember me? Whatever it was in the room with her said, you will. Ah, that's worse. I know. So, oh my so, so my sister, you know, the, she's laying in the bed for, she says it felt like it was an hour, just scared not wanting to turn around because she still feels like something's in the bed and, and she just doesn't know what to do. So eventually she told, she told herself, I need to get up and I need to turn on this light right now because there could be someone in there. So she does just that. She, she musters all the courage she can. She jumps up, turns on the light switch and there's nobody there in the room with her. Wow. Oh my God. This is the middle of the night. I still remember the, I still remember the, the next morning, clear as day. She comes out of the room. She, looks tired because she didn't get good sleep. You know, she got woken up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And she was up for about an hour. And then she told us the story that she had the weirdest, you know, thing happen that just everything I just told you. And she told us word for word as I told it. And I could tell that it really, really bothered her. She wasn't, she wasn't, she's not one to make up stories like that. You know, she, she really Mm -hmm. isn't. And I could tell that it just, it really, really bothered her. So, I already mentioned about my mom suffering from sleep paralysis. So while all this is happening, there's still also poltergeist activity happening, things disappearing, things reappearing when we're looking for them for days, things actually falling down uh, when there's no explanation. Yes, there was actually an occurrence at my mom's house just recently, about three months ago. My father and my mother, they reconciled their differences about six years ago when my father was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer, mm-hmm. they, uh, they caught it just in time before. Oh, that's good. Yeah. He was actually just about to die when, when a miraculous occurrence happened that his friend who's a doctor happened to show up at his place of business just to say hi. And he saw my dad looking terrible and, and he told him, Oh man, Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta go to get checked out. You look like you're anemic. <laughs> Turned oh, out wow. he was, Turned out the tumor in his stomach was bleeding him dry. Oh, man. Well, good for him that he's okay now. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I was really happy. But after they reconciled, uh, my father moved in with my mom, actually, so she could help get him back to health. Well, one poltergeist-like activity that occurred recently was a refrigerator magnet. I don't know if you've seen these. 
They're the bottle opener ones that have dual side openings. So that way you can, you know, prick, prick open a can of tomato sauce. Yes. And and this is like a, a magnet from the 90s or the late 80s. It's a real strong magnet, real durable. Uh, magnets takes hundred of, hundreds of years to lose their magnetism. And this thing just fell off the fridge. Ooh, just yeah. while they were there cooking breakfast, it just fell right off. Oh, man. After all the poltergeist-like activity was happening, my mom, she would uh, get calls randomly from this number. And she didn't know who it was. And whenever she would answer, you know, she wouldn't... She wouldn't hear anything back from the other line, so she would always hang up, and she always assumed it was my my father's girlfriend. You know, my mom knew about her. The lady knew about my mom. Uh, she knew where we lived, so it was always kind of concerning whenever my mom would get a call from this number she didn't know, and there was an ominous silence on the other side or just breathing. Yeah, that's that's like scary movie stuff, just heavy breathing on the other phone. You're like, who is this? Yes, exactly. And my mom, she was a strong, um, she's a strong Latinx woman. You know, she's very, very strong minded, very strong willed. And she'll tell you how it is if she really wants to, you know, if, if yeah. she's. And so I remember there'd be sometimes I'd come in and I'd hear her saying, you know, you blanking berra, you you know, you effing dog woman, all this stuff, and yeah. leave me alone already. He, you already have my husband. What do you want from me? You know, stuff like that. So one day, my mom gets a call. We're getting we're getting to the we're getting to the real meat and potatoes here. So one day, my mother gets a call, and it's from actually my dad's girlfriend's friend. Let's say his his girlfriend's name is Angelica, okay. right? So my mom gets a call from her friend and we'll just call her, uh, Tammy. So Tammy tells my mom, hi, is this Nora? And then my mom says, yes, who is this? And she says, hi, Nora, you don't know me, but my name is Tammy. I'm a really good friend of Umberto's girlfriend, Angelica. And I just want to call you because I want to reconcile and tell you that I'm sorry. Tammy wanted to turn her life around. She wanted to just make amends with my mom because she actually helped Angelica get into contact with a witch doctor in Mexico to put a curse on our family. Oh, so Angelica was looking to do something, anything to try and keep my father with her Uh huh. and to try and get back at my mother because she always felt that my mom was trying to get my dad back, which I can't say whether that's true or not, but you know, I, I do know she always loved him no matter what. Right. Yeah. But, uh, so she called her saying, you know, I'm so very sorry. Angelica, you know, she wanted to try and get at you. And I told her that, you know, we can go to Mexico because I know someone. So they went to Mexico together, Angelica and Tammy. And they went to the witch doctor. And Angelica told him what she wanted done. And he created a little, a little pouch that had a lemon peel in it with a bunch of little spices and a couple of other little things in it. And he told her, you take this and you bury it on their property and whatever you want will happen for them. You know, if, you know, pretty much whatever ill intent was, was going to be administered onto us. So I did not know about this until just about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. I'm 32 now. So I didn't hear about this until I was like 19 or 20. My mom didn't tell us about this because she didn't want to scare us. So after she got that call, Tammy told her, all you have to do is go to the corner window where there's a rose bush. That rose bush was right outside my sister's window where we would always hear talking. Ooh. So my mom went to the rose bush. 
She dug it up. Again, this is when I was about 13 or 14. So this was about 2001, 2002. Mm -hmm. She dug it up and she found it. She found a a pouch. She found the lemon peel. She found the spices on it, whatever herbs was in it. She picked it up barehanded and just threw it away. Now, had she told me about this when I was younger, Mm -hmm. I would have told her, mom, you're crazy. You don't grab it barehanded. You you burn it. You you. I was just wondering about that. Like, should she have just grabbed it? <laughs> no, no, she shouldn't have. And that's I agree with you there because after that happened, you know, her sleep paralysis and her nightmares intensified after after finding the object. Oh man, yeah. You know, she discarded the object, and and she actually tore out the rose bush that was there next to my sister's window. That rose bush was there maybe like 10, maybe like like six years. And she just tore it out. And I actually remember coming home one day when I was 13, 14, and thinking to myself, what happened to the rose bush by my sister's window? You know, like, and it turned out that was the day my mom found the object buried next to the window and, and you know, disposed of it and the rose bush. So after she disposed of it, you know, there were still there were still things occurring at the house. Um, I believe it's because she didn't have someone come to try and properly dispose of it and try to cleanse the house. Oh, yeah. She was like I said, she was having an increased bout of of uh, activity with her sleep paralysis and her nightmares, and we were still having occurrences with minor poltergeist activity, things disappearing when we know where we put them and reappearing a couple days later in the exact same spot. So after that, she called uh, the church, the local church. And she asked, you know, if someone can come and bless the house again, because, you know, we're having all these issues. So, so they did that, you know, they had someone come, they blessed the house and then they put this white powder all along the border of the house. And they told her just, uh, you know, don't go outside barefoot and try and keep that border all around your house. That'll protect you from any evil spirits. And after they did that, there was, you know, the the house really calmed down quite a bit. I I wasn't seeing any more shadows out of the corner of my eyes. I wasn't witnessing as many uh, poltergeist-like activities. My sisters stopped hearing people talking outside their window. The only thing that that still occurred was my mom's uh, sleep paralysis on a constant. That was was one of the most constant things that, that just happened to keep occurring. And you said that's still happening, right? Yes, to this day, I, I, I randomly ask her, you know, how are you sleeping? You know, and she tells me, oh, I'm sleeping fine for the most part, you know, and then she'll bring up how she had a sleep paralysis incident one time a week ago or so, you know, and, and how she feels like there's someone in the room and she can't move, she can't talk. And she just prays. She prays to Jesus to just help her. And she yeah. says eventually she she's able to move and she's just fine. Man, that's scary that that's nice still that's the only thing that's still persisting like it's still is it and it's just like still affecting her yes um pretty much after the blessing at that house nothing nothing else much occurred it wasn't until about seven years later that when that white line started to be begin to dissolve around the house oh that can happen <laughs> yeah there yeah I don't know what it was it was some kind of chalk powder that they put around the house and okay. A couple years later, like six years later, you know, it just started disappearing. And I noticed that there was some things that seemed to be occurring in the house again. So it might be time to re-up on that subscription. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) 
other than that, there, there weren't really many. After that happened when I was 13, you know, there weren't many other incidences that would occur. I believe it was because, you know, my mom found the object and got rid of it. But in doing so, I feel like she caused it to attach itself to her. And that's why she continues to possibly uh, have these issues even after the blessings, even after everything that's occurred, you know, I, I think that might be the reason why she's still suffering when all of us seem to have been left in the dust. That makes sense. Yeah. That's wild that it can. So the, the witch doctor was in Mexico, but like it still affected you guys all the way over there. <laughs> like It's because, well, yeah, it's because you see, he, he created like a, like a little pouch with whatever it was and you know whatever was in there and and that's supposed to be like i guess it i guess it could be considered like a cursed object oh yeah yeah so it was placed at our house in order to cause it was it was buried right outside my sister's window on the property and so the guy you know the the, the lady tammy we're calling her tammy she told my mother word for word that he told us that this when placed outside your house or whoever house we wanted to cause ill intent to that it will cause ill intent to them. So I don't, I don't believe it's necessarily like a, I don't, I don't believe it's necessarily like a, there's a a distance, a minimum distance or a maximum distance that a curse can affect people or or like, you know, from believing in a curse across a country going into another. I I don't know if it's necessarily that. I, I think it might actually be the physical object placed there with the intent to cause, oh, you know, some yeah. kind of, because a lot of things I feel come from intent, you know, um, whether it's good intent or a bad intent, there's always that want to either be good or be bad or cause good things or bad things to happen. You know, it's, yeah. it's just about the intent of the person that, and, and what they want to project out there. That makes sense. Yeah. There, there were, uh, there were a couple other weird things that, that happened, So this was around the time when I was 13, when the object was buried outside the window, my sister Vanessa and I were in her room where, you know, we would hear the the voices outside the window. And there was a time where we swear to God, we heard our mother come home, you know, like she, she would come in, you know, it was always the same way my mother would come in. She would come in, open the door that led to the laundry room, close that, and then clack clack you would hear her purse hit the countertop and then she would walk to her room or to our room to say hi Mm -hmm. and one day you know we heard that we heard the door open we heard it close we heard the purse clacking on top of the countertop but we never saw our mom come so we're like where's mom five minutes later we hear the same noise this door opens door closes purse clacks on the on the countertop and there she is and we ask mom, did you come inside and leave it all? And she tells us, no, no, I, I didn't at all. Oh. Yeah, we mentioned to her, we heard it. We heard your purse, mom. We came and looked for you and you weren't here. Like you never wow. you, you never showed up. We thought you went back outside or something and left. Like you forgot something at a grocery store. But, but no, she never was there. Oh, that's, yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah. And, and then before that, before that, we had issues with shadow people as well and, and just, other things and I don't know it's just uh it's just kind of a weird it's kind of a weird lineage uh based off some stories that I got from the last generation of my family members because you know like my grandma would see a shadow person in her room 
my father, the day after his grandmother died, him and his sister saw her at, at their house. Oh, wow. You know? And and she lived in Mexico, and they were over here in the United States. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a really yeah. There, there's been a lot of weird things, um, and that that you know that have happened in my family, and and that's one of the things that I liked looking into was family generational curses or or hauntings, and that was uh, that's one of the things I was trying to write about at first, but no one's like the local publisher didn't seem to be interested in it too much, so I kind of put that on the back burner and decided to. You know, try and start up with this book about family um, haunting and occurrences with uh, the curse being put on my family, things like that. Well, I mean, they both sound great to me. But <laughs> yeah, thank you. It all just depends, I guess, on what the publisher thinks that people want to see. But I mean, now that you know there are there are full streaming platform. There's a full streaming platform devoted to paranormal shows. You know, there's yeah. multiple channels de- devoted to paranormal shows. So I might just have to dust off that one and try and resubmit yeah yeah definitely yeah this feels like a good place to wrap up because uh fyi i am super pregnant i have to go pee (laughs) oh well congratulations (laughs) thank you thank you usually all our last episodes end the same way where i'm like okay i have to go pee (laughs) (laughs) um but this was great we'll have to have you come back when mj's here for those shadow people stories because she like i said lives for them (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on and sharing that story. It was, it was good. I, I was definitely um, scared. <laughs> Thank you. I, it was a pleasure of mine to, to truly be on here. And to our listeners, stay as spooky. We'll catch everyone next time. Have a good one. Bye.